This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Skolarsev, and it was a very, very busy weekend uh, in the American soccer scene. So there's a ton to catch up on. And I know last week was crazy with the MLS draft and everything going on with that. But that's in the rearview mirror now. And it's time to start talking U.S. men's national team. U.S. is going to make their 2021 debut on Sunday down in Florida against Trinidad and Tobago. We'll touch on that. We have the expected projected starting goalkeeper for that match. Matt Turner is our guest on this episode. He'll be joining us from Orlando. Uh, but before we get to uh, Matt Turner and the U.S. men's national team, we have to talk Americans abroad and a heck of a weekend, a pretty special weekend. Golds galore, strong performances galore, uh, and more more things to, to make American soccer fans feel good about the future of that team, of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, we obviously also have to talk about looming transfers. Uh, it's a busy, obviously, January. The January transfer window is always busy, especially with Americans, and uh, you've got you know, a few, a few Americans on the move. So we'll be talking about that. And, uh, after we get into the, the U S men's national team and Matt Turner and the projected lineup, we could see, uh, we'll get into MLS. And, uh, we now know when the MLS season will begin. Hopefully the 2021 MLS season is expected to start, uh, uh, in April. And we will see if, if that's what happens, you know, barring a, a labor stoppage, uh, Obviously, the the league is still negotiating with the players union, and we'll find out uh, if they can get it get it done. Obviously, there's always that threat of a of a strike, and you know, are they gonna you know is it gonna happen? But we we've seen this over and over, and I've said it recently. I was on a I was on the Sirius XM uh, show with uh, Brian Dunseth and Tony Mill, and I told them, I you know, we've we've seen this multiple times now in the, in labor labor talks with MLS and the players union. The threats of uh, of you know lockouts and potential strikes, and it always gets sorted out in the end. Knock on wood, hopefully it happens. But uh, uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But first things first, we have to start with Americans abroad, and we have to start with Weston McKinney. And what a performance from Weston McKinney! Uh, man of the match caliber performance for Juventus. He scores a goal. He he was involved in so many different plays and sequences and, and opportunities, scoring opportunities. He's just really coming into his own. And uh, I know some people had their doubts about that move, about the loan to, to Juventus. Would he play? Is he good enough? Is this, uh, you know, is this a disaster? Is this a na- disaster waiting to happen? And, you know, I still feel like some U.S. fans are always going to be nervous about U.S. national team players making big moves and, you know, they're going to get stuck. But I think that's starting to go away now because, We've seen so many players uh, make moves to big clubs, and they're playing. They're doing well. So I think that stigma's finally wearing off. And, and look, Weston McKinney's playing. You can argue right now he is the best, or he's playing the best for sure, of any American in Europe. Any American in the game, he's playing. He's he's playing at the best level right now. And, you know, that's no knock against Christian Pulisic or Gio Reyna, Tyler Adams. Uh, you name it. There's a lot, a lot of players over there that are playing well, but Weston McKinney is, is setting the standard right now. And if you're Andrea Pirlo, you have to be loving what you're getting from from him. And he, he definitely is giving them, not only is he giving them that work rate, that ability to just buzz all over the field uh, and, and you know, frustrate and, and close down opposing attacks, he is also contributing to the Juventus attack and with the, you know, his making his, his third man runs and, uh, you know, back heel passes. And he's just really doing it all. It's great. It's great to see. So, uh, you know, hopefully he can continue to build on that and carry that over into the U.S. national team when the na- when the U.S. Uh, men's national team returns to important matches, whether it's the Nations League in June, uh, potentially Gold Cup if they have the first team at the Gold Cup, and then obviously World Cup qualifying beginning in the fall. Uh, and he was not the only American who played well this weekend. Uh, you also had John Brooks, uh, who played really well for Wolfsburg in, in what was a big win for them. Uh, you know, they obviously are having a great season. Wolfsburg in fourth place right now in the Bundesliga. And as we know, part of that is, uh, you know, Borussia Dortmund is, is in a slump right now. Um, and Wolfsburg is playing well. Their defense is playing well. And Brooks is doing his part. And I know John Brooks has Champions League aspirations. And right now we're halfway through the season uh, down, uh, you know, in the Bundesliga. And Wolfsburg is right there. They're in fourth place. They're in Champions League position. But obviously... So much can change. 
there's a long way to go. Um, the only thing you can pretty much know for sure is that Bayern Munich will eventually run away with the league, and they've already started to pull away. Uh, and it's almost like in a blink, right? I mean, they jumped into first place right at the end of 2020. Um, I believe it was the last game of the season. They won the match, and that put them into first place. And they, ha- you know, did they? They they looked vulnerable at certain points, right? Um, after that, but I, what happens? They they turn it on. Other teams stumble. RB Leipzig stumbled, and here we are. Bayern is in first place again. But look, RB Leipzig uh, they did lose a surprising match, but Tyler Adams scored his first Bundesliga goal. Obviously, not his first goal because we know about the Champions League goal, but still good to see him get on the on the score sheet in Bundesliga play. And even though RB Leipzig has, has had a couple of you know forgettable results, uh, it's good to see Tyler Adams doing his part and contributing. And then you have a, a player who who didn't uh, he didn't get on the score sheet this last game, um, but he did score last week, and that's Matthew uh, Hopi, the uh, the Schalke uh, striker. Young American teenager, another teenager in the Bundesliga, and he obviously had a run of five goals in three matches for Schalke. Um, just really kind of stepping up and emerging as another potential candidate for the U.S. men's national team striker position. And you know, obviously, right off the bat, U.S. fans are going crazy and they say, like, "Oh, here he is! This could be the one." This it's like it's like the Matrix, right? You're trying to find the one. Who's Neo? Who's going to be the Neo of this striker position? And uh, already with those five goals in three matches, uh, the, the the Matthew Hoppy bandwagon was overflowing. Um, but guess who probably wanted to make uh, you know make his own statement regarding the striker position, and that's Josh Sargent. And as we know, he has long been considered the future heir apparent to Josie Altidore, but he'd been in a bit of a slump in terms of goal scoring, at least. He hadn't scored in, I believe, nine, I think it was nine or ten Bundesliga matches. And what does he do? He goes out and not only does he score, he scores a golazo, an absolute beauty uh, for Werder Bremen. And, uh, you know, it, what's interesting is he had been in that goal scoring slump and he actually was benched for that match. And then he comes in for an injury. He comes in for the injured striker who replaced him in the starting lineup. What does he do? He scores a goal. So, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe getting benched was the motivation he needed to kind of, or I'm sure even, be, you know, he when you've been starting as, as, as often as he has, I mean, who knows what it was? Was he getting a rest or was it really the coach trying to shake things up because he hadn't scored a goal? But guess what, guess what he does? He responds and he scores a beautiful goal. And, and you, got, you, you, like the, you hope that that's the kind of confidence booster that he needs. And he's absolutely a player who, like a lot of strikers, most strikers, you know, they feed. They feed off confidence, and um, and he and he's you know hopefully with that goal he can get going, and it serves as a reminder that you can't just write these people off because they get into a bit of a slump. Just like you can't just get too crazy because they have a little hot streak or they have a couple of run uh, a run of games. And not to take anything away from Matthew Matthew uh, Hoppy uh, Hoppy Hoppy, I'm going to say it both ways, but um, not to take anything away from him, but you have to, you know, you, you want to be careful not to go too overboard and it's already started the talk as far as, as far as Hopi and the national team. And Greg Berhalter actually addressed that, uh, uh, this week on Monday, he was, uh, he did his, he did one of his, uh, pre match, uh, conference calls with the media and, uh, he touched on a variety of topics and among them was Matthew Hopi, Hopi and his, you know, future and, and whether Greg Berhalter has been paying attention. And yes, as you might expect, Greg Berhalter has been paying attention. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been great watching him play. Um, you know, it, it's really exciting to see a young, a, a young player from any country do what he's been doing in the Bundesliga these last couple of weeks. So that's been, that's been really fun. I have been able to watch his games. I have been able to give him some feedback and, um, you know, for me, it's just about for him to keep going. You know, we don't need to get ahead of ourselves. I think that, you know, a, a player um, establishes himself by continuing to perform at this level um, that, that he is at. So it's great to see him reach these heights, and now he needs to maintain it. And um, if he does that, I'm sure he'll get an opportunity with the national team. Another player that Greg Berhalter discussed was uh, Christian Pulisic, who obviously had a, a big change over at Chelsea with Frank Lampard being fired as manager. And now Thomas Tuchel has taken over, uh, and he wasted no time. Uh, Lampard was was fired on Monday, and Tuchel showed up on Tuesday, and he will be on the sideline for Chelsea's match against Wolves on Wednesday. And uh, Berhalter had some things to say as far as just the transition that, that Pulisic's going to face. Now, 
obviously Pulisic has a bit of an advantage in that. Thomas Tuchel was his manager at uh, Borussia Dortmund. He was actually the manager who gave Christian Pulisic his professional debut. Uh, it's crazy to think that so much has happened in the years since then, since Pulisic made his debut, but it was Tuchel who moved up Pulisic from the youth level to the first team, uh, gave him his debut as a as a teenager, and now here we are five years later, and uh, they're going to work together again. So... As far as Berhalter is concerned, he sees he clearly he sees the obvious advantage there that uh, Pulisic's going to have with a coach that he knows well. You know, so for Christian, I think the benefit is, um, you know, the, if Tuchel is the coach, that he knows him very well, and um, I think that's always important. So you're, he's coming in with with a real good understanding of what Christian can do and, and his skill set. I think that's important. He also has seen Christian develop and um, you know improve over his time at, at Dortmund. And, and for Christian, it's the familiarity with how he coaches, his coaching style, his communication style, and that's all helpful. There's not that uh, that uncomfortable period when you're getting to know the coach. So I think those could possibly be be benefits. You know, in terms of um, you know Frank not being the coach anymore, you know, it, it's a really tough business. Um, you know, Chelsea's a top club, uh, and um, you know they expect wins in, in all the games they play, and it's very difficult for managers to to deal with that. So. You know, it's it's never a nice thing when a colleague, um, you know, loses his job. In terms of, you know, the replacement, if it's Tuchel, um, you know, we do have relationships with, with that staff, and I'm sure we'll be able to, you know, to pick up right where it left off. Now, it's interesting with Pulisic, right, because he hasn't been playing the best uh, in recent weeks, but he has continued to start. He was starting under Frank Lampard, and, you know, you always kind of wonder, it's kind of... It's funny how in the beginning of his time at Chelsea, he, he he was having those issues just even getting into the lineup. And and there were those talks then that, oh, Frank Lampard doesn't like him. He doesn't rate him. And then Lampard was pretty much like, no, that's not it. It's just, you know, he Christian Pulisic needs time to adapt and all that. And then obviously now here we go. We get to the end of Lampard's time at Chelsea and Pulisic is an absolute lock starter for him, which was interesting. And uh, to be fair to Pulisic, he you when you watch him play, I mean, he's trying to make things happen. He's active. He's usually one of the more active um, and one of the more impactful players on that in that Chelsea attack. Even though the the, the the production hasn't been there in terms of goals and assists, especially in recent weeks, but you see you see him still active in in there. And the, and knock on wood, the good thing is that he's been able to stay healthy and and, and continue to stay on the field. And we know that's been an issue. For Pulisic, so we'll, we'll see what uh, t- uh, Thomas Tuchel is able to do in terms of uh, now he's obviously being hired and brought in to to help bring along some of the other players who have been struggling in their transition to Chelsea, um, namely Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, um, two German players who you would think that you know a manager like Thomas Tuchel, who obviously is German and can speak German, uh, can hopefully have that connection with those two and help them get to the level that Chelsea expected when they spent all that money uh, on those two players among the boatload of players that they brought in in the, in the recent transfer window. So we'll see what Tuchel can do with Chelsea. They have, they have all the talent in the world. They should be a top four team. There's no question about it. So the fact that they, they were ninth, they had slipped down a ninth in their recent slump just didn't bode, bode well for Lampard, even though, you know, does it feel like it's a bit of a rush a year and a half in charge the first year he gets in the fourth place gets him back into the Champions League. But you know, as a manager in Europe, when your team spends the kind of money Chelsea just spent, you got you to gotta get the results. You ha- you, you're not going to have a long, long leash, especially with Roman Abramovich, who ha- has been known to kind of lose his patience with managers and make changes. And obviously, by the quickness of this turnaround, Lampard fired on Monday, Tuchel shows up on Tuesday. I mean, this was all obviously planned out. And for those of you who forgot, Thomas Tuchel was Paris Saint-Germain's manager just less than a month ago. So, again, he too, he knows what it's about. He he's he knows what it means to be at a club that has high expectations and, and, and to get the boot. And he just got the boot less than a month ago from PSG, and now he's at Chelsea. So we'll see what he does. We'll see if he can get the most out of those players, and, we can, and we'll see if he and Pulisic can – kind of rekindle that that uh that that good working relationship they obviously had in Dortmund when when Christian Pulisic broke through in uh, at the start of his career. Now moving away from Americans abroad who are, are who are already there in Europe, we uh we have to start talking about uh players who are heading to Europe. 
And we'll start, obviously, with Brian Reynolds, the FC Dallas fullback. The His whole transfer situation has taken a turn. And, and for those of you who listened to the last episode last week, you, you will have heard me say that, you know, his situation is far from done. It's not done, despite what reports were saying or had been saying for a good while. And I think now everyone knows that, yes, it's the case that the deal that er- that a lot of people uh, tried to report as being a done deal was not a done deal. Brian Reynolds uh, to Juventus by way of Benevento was kind of the really hot rumor that was making the rounds. Uh, and it was really being pushed by people who had vested interests in him going to be- to Benevento via uh, Juventus via Benevento. There, there were clearly people involved that were, you know, standing to make money, make a good amount of money if that, that deal had gone through. And uh, it's pretty clear that that was because of that, that was pushed through in the media and some and some reporters uh, ran with that as, as if it was done. And it wasn't. It wasn't done. And now we know that A.S. Roma is uh, in position to sign him. And there are already reports as of Tuesday that the deal's done. We're going through this again, right? So uh, by my understanding is that it's definitely in the works. It's 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 the process. There's still some steps, but it's looking really good for him to go to A.S. Roma. And this was not a case of as It's always interesting to see reports, especially when you kind of have a good sense of what's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, obviously I hear things and I I have my sources that I speak to and I can't always write all the details that I hear, but I can't, I usually have a pretty good, you know, in some cases I have some, some insight that, that I can't report on and, but I do have a good grasp of what's going on. And then with the rental situation, it was, it's not, it was never a case of Roma going away and coming back and coming in with a new this or that. No, Roma was in from early on. They never went away. They were always in the conversation. They always they were always in there with a the good offer. Actually, my understanding is that their offer was better than the Juventus offer from the beginning. And really, the only reason that the Juventus situation was even kind of entertained was because it's Juventus. And obviously, when you talk when you're talking about a team like Juventus, it's a it's a huge deal, and, and you have to consider it, even if maybe another team, namely Roma. Uh, was putting up a better financial offer. So here we are. Brian Reynolds should be heading to AS Roma. We'll see if it gets done, finally put through. And it's being reported as done, but it's looking good right now. But what a what a whirlwind for Brian Reynolds, who goes from being on the bench, uh, a backup at FC Dallas uh, as early, as far back as June, right? June, July, before Reggie Cannon makes the move to to Portugal, and once Reggie Cannon makes that move, opens the door, Brian Reynolds, he gets into the starting lineup, plays great, puts up uh, really, really impressive numbers. And I'm not talking about goals and assists numbers. I'm talking about all the all the measurables, all the, you know, when you're talking about, op, you know, all the stats, all the opta stats, all the, you know, whether, whether it's, uh, you know, running and distance covered and pressure pressures and all the analytics that scouts really devour now. When they're looking at prospects and when they see a 19-year-old Brian Reynolds, uh, top, top, top level athlete who is putting up the numbers that he's putting up and showing the qualities that he's showing as an, as a dynamic attacking right back. And those are gold in the international game and, and anyone, <laughs> Alfonso Davies, Exhibit A, right? I mean, or, or Trent Alexander-Arnold at Liverpool, um, although not recently, Um you know that teams are are looking for those type of players, and they know those are a gold mine, and that's why Brian Reynolds is going to go for you know eight nine, up to ten million when it's all said and done. And that's a huge deal, and 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 we'll see if that that gets done in time for him to go to AS Roma right off the bat. Is he going to play immediately? That's a huge jump uh, to go from on the bench at FC Dallas uh, to start you know playing for Roma in you know six seven months. That's that's a big turnaround, but. Clearly, he's a long-term uh, prospect, long-term project for Roma. He's a long-term play. It's not a like, oh, we have to get him in. He has to play immediately. He has to show right away and get in. I don't think that's going to be the case either. But listen, we've seen players, you know, really just step up and 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 maybe exceed expectations right off the bat. Serginio Dest, you know, he he went and uh, obviously he was started at, at Ajax, so it's not like he came from from nowhere. But he stepped into Barcelona. Got playing time there right off the bat, and 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 established himself as a starter. You talk about Weston McKinney, who you know some people, as I said earlier, some people didn't think you know he would necessarily be a regular starter for Juventus, and look at him now. He's one of the best players, one of the best, definitely one of the best midfielders that uh, for Juventus this season. So we'll see, we'll see what Brian Reynolds can do, but it's still a huge, it's a huge uh, a moment, and, and, and it's a huge. Uh, 
transfer when you, you obviously when you look at all time transfers, it's definitely going to be the new record for the for the largest transfer for a defender in MLS history. And Alfonso Davies, when he went to Bayern Munich, he was technically considered a winger. I mean, he obviously played more as a winger uh, than a, than a fullback in MLS. So he was kind of you know when he went, he was seen more of as an as an attacking player. Brian Reynolds is going there as a fullback, as a right back, and and you know shattering that record. So it's a it's a statement transfer, and we'll see what he can do there. And and look, credit to FC Dallas, right? They continue their pipeline has, has produced some players. You talk about Reggie Cannon uh, before that, obviously Weston McKinney and Chris Richards both came, came through there. So uh, FC Dallas, they are are definitely starting to to uh, reap the rewards of all the work that they put in for years into their academy. And uh, and there's more players in the pipeline coming: Ricardo Pepe, uh, Tanner Tessman, Jesus Ferreira. Pe- Let's not forget Paxton Pomacal, who obviously had a had a rough 2020 with the injuries that really uh, served as a setback. But he's still top top talent. So uh, great to see. It's great to see uh, you know FC Dallas kind of you know be one of those teams that's doing it the right way. And another young American, another American teenager who is uh, all set to head over to Europe eventually is uh, Caden Clark, the New York Red Bulls midfielder 17 year old and now this one's not really a surprise this one's kind of been you know it's been kind of established for some time that you know when he went when he signed with the Red Bulls and when he got into their network into their pipeline that it was pretty much understood that he was going to eventually end up at RB Leipzig so now the Athletic is reporting that that deal is being finalized and he will uh, head over to Leipzig when he's when he turns 18 so he'll be there after the 2021 season and that's a, obviously a, another big step. He's a really talented, one of the most talented Americans in the in that talent pipeline at for his age. And, and we saw just in the glimpses that he showed at the tail end of 2020, just with some of the goals that he scored. And clearly the talent's there. He's a special talent. So, you know, some people look at it and say, well, wait a minute. Uh, RB Leipzig is just going to take him from the Red Bulls? Like, what's going on here? And, you know, at the end of the day... It, Obviously, he signed knowing he the reason he even went into that whole arrangement with the Red Bulls was with the idea to, to go to Leipzig. So it's not a case of, you know, the New York Red Bulls found this kid and, and now Leipzig is just taking him away. It was all it was all arranged ahead of time. It was all understood. Uh, we know the Red Bulls are part of the Red Bull network, which obviously RB Leipzig's at the top of that that kind of pyramid. You have Red Bull Salzburg. Now you have a, a Red Bull team down in Brazil that's doing really well and and has some really top end talent as well. So it, it's all it, it. You understand why they've kind of created this network to produce talent and to help feed the top talent in that network up to Leipzig in the Bundesliga as the kind of the premier team in that setup. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with that arrangement so long as the the network is making sure to invest in those teams in the uh, lower in the pyramid and we have seen in the past that hasn't always always been the case we have seen in the past that sometimes i mean i still remember the earliest the earliest days of the red bulls uh the new york red bulls slash red bulls uh, global arrangement i still remember marcus shop uh in an aging midfielder who was clearly he was on the books at Salzburg and they just wanted to get rid of him and they throw him you know they send him to the Red Bulls and he was just pretty useless right so you know that kind of thing you don't want to have what you want to have is young players uh come over young players you know come over on loan or you want to see the network invest in young talent and bring in uh, you know, spend real money on 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 good young talented players, and obviously, Red Bull spent on Kaku. They spent you know some pretty good money on Kaku a few years back. Now he, it's kind of it's been a bit hit and miss with him, but that's the kind of thing you want to see. And we haven't we didn't see it as much in the last couple of years. I mean, I think Matthias Jorgensen or uh, Jorgensen, the striker for, for the Red Bull, didn't pan out, but they did spend, uh, you know, whether it was a million or 1.5 or 2 million, they did try to spend something on him. He didn't work out. But now more recently, the Red Bulls were able to sign Andres Reyes and spend the money that it took to to, to sign the Colombian center back. And, and he was with Inter Miami last year. And I was impressed with him. I liked him, actually. And I, I was surprised that he didn't stay with Miami or Miami didn't keep him. And my understanding is Miami wanted him. They wanted to keep him, but uh, Atlético Nacional uh, had other plans. They had, uh, you know, there, were, there was a plan in place that he was going to be transferred to Europe, uh, and that fell through for whatever reason. But Miami was un- wasn't able to keep him, 
they weren't able to to complete the transfer to hold on to Andres Reyes, even though my understanding is some people in Miami did want him to stay. So their loss is the Red Bulls gain, and that that's the type of investment you want to see from Red Bull Global into the New York Red Bulls because it can't just be that they take a Caden Clark, that they take a Tyler Adams, that they sell a Matt Miazga, and they and they're uh, they're not reinvesting and they're not re you know restocking the shelves right you can't just take away the top t- young talent and then not uh replenish it and i think honestly that that's an issue that was an issue in the in the last couple of years and it's why after that supporter shield season in 2018 the team really kind of fell apart uh, you, you started seeing players leave um obviously you started with jesse marsh now jesse marsh left mid midway through the 2018 season chris armis took over he was able to get them, you know, continue playing well in the regular season. They win that supporter shield. But then 2019, they start they start kind of dismantling the squad and you lose Tyler Adams. You know, he heads over to he heads over to Leipzig, which was a huge loss. It was so hard to replace him. And it, that was just kind of the first piece. That was like the huge piece, but it was like that first huge piece in t- removing that from that supporter shield winning team. And then they just didn't really restock the shelf. So hopefully now... They have a new head coach. They have their sporting director that started last year, uh, Kevin Thelwell, and, and hopefully they can start figuring things out. And and you know what? I'll be the first to say I have my doubts, if only because the tr- you've never you've never had a situation in MLS where you had the sporting director and the head coach both be from outside MLS. Uh, for, uh, both not neither have real. MLS experience. Usually it's one or the other. Usually it's an, an international sporting director, you know, like, like Ernst Tanner in Philadelphia, paired with an American, Jim Curtin. Uh, you haven't had two foreigners working together in MLS and have it succeed. You haven't seen that. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see if they can make it work. Um, Dennis Hamlet is still there uh, working under uh, underneath Kevin Thelwell. So he he obviously has experience in MLS. So we'll see if they can figure it out and 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 2021, they definitely need to bounce back because it was just they had a disappointing year last year. No, no two ways about it. Um, it cost Chris Armas his job, but it wasn't by any means all down to Chris Armas. I'll be the first to say that. I thought he got a raw deal, not not because you know you understand why the team made a move, but it wasn't all on him because I mean you know they just didn't have the talent that they had in years in in years past. And the last of the Americans abroad uh, moves. In, uh, that, that I definitely wanted to touch on was Dwayne Holmes is headed to Huddersfield Town, headed heading back to Huddersfield Town. Now, obviously, he was at Derby County. Head coach manager Wayne Rooney, uh, clearly it didn't seem like there was a good connection there, uh, whether it was that, that Holmes was already looking to move on or whether, you know, he just kind of it, it just they it wasn't a good fit anymore. Whatever the case may be, Dwayne Holmes is back at Huddersfield. And Huddersfield is actually higher up the table in the league championship than Derby. They're seven spots higher up. So it's a better team. And hopefully, you know, Dwayne Holmes in the past, the past year, obviously, with some injuries. And uh, he hasn't been able to find that top form that he had a year ago, year and a half ago, when he really was playing really well. And he was in the U.S. men's national team picture. Uh, we all remember before the 2019 Gold Cup. You know, he was kind of a player who was who was expected to play a role in that Gold Cup, and and he ended up not not being a part of that. I believe he got injured before that Gold Cup, uh, which was unfortunate for him. But he is uh, he's a player to keep an eye on for sure. I think you know going back to Huddersfield, hopefully it can help him uh, get that form back, so he can put his put himself back into the picture for Greg Berhalter uh, in that central midfield uh, depth chart. And obviously, we know that there are some some really promising young central midfielders coming up. Especially in Europe, when you talk about Yunus Musa, uh, Owen Otisowi. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if. Uh, and then you have someone like Julian Green, who continues to crush it in Germany, and and it's, hasn't been able to get a sniff from Greg Berhalter. But Dwayne Holmes, if he can get back into his form, into into back to his best form, he absolutely has the talent to be in the conversation for the men's national team. And now we will talk U.S. men's national team, and they are in Orlando now as they prepare for their first match of 2021. Uh, They take on Trinidad and Tobago, and uh, I know originally they were reportedly taking on Serbia, but nope, they're playing TNT. Uh, And, uh, you know, obviously the final roster has been chosen for that, and uh, it was interesting to see some of the 
selections. No real surprises. Although Tristan Blackman, obviously with a concussion uh, forcing him out, he won't take part in the match. Uh, another player who left was Sean Johnson, who uh, you know you might have expected to be, if not the starter, but definitely a contender to be the starting goalkeeper for that first friendly. And now that Sean Johnson is no is not there. Uh, that that moves things, and uh, it, Matt Turner is now your your favorite to start and to earn his first U.S. Men's National Team cap uh, in that match on Sunday. And obviously, the year that he had um, in 2020 with the New England Revolution, just absolutely outstanding year. You could you could you could definitely make the case that he was worthy of MLS Goalkeeper of the Year. Um, he was right there. I mean, him and Andre Blake are both both uh, equally deserving there. Um, and now here he is. He's back in his second U.S. national team camp. And, uh, you know, he's obviously show, showing that he's made clear improvements. And uh, all you have to do is listen to Greg Berhalter talking about Matt Turner to understand that, that the, the strides that he's made. Matt certainly has improved. There, it's, I think it's night and day compared to him last January camp. Um, you know, he had, I think, the, the reflexes last January, but now it, his whole game is improved, and you can see he's gained confidence, and, and the whole, that whole season behind him um, has really improved him. And he's looking sharp. Um, you know, in, in the games, he's made some big saves, and that's, that, you know, that's really a hallmark of what we know Matt to be able to do is you know, the big save ability. And then um, he needs to continue to work with his feet, continue to improve and build up from the goalkeeper. But he's doing a great job. We, we've been really happy with him. And clearly Greg Berhalter is happy with what he's seeing from Matt Turner. Now joining us from Orlando and U.S. Men's National Team Camp, we have U.S. goalkeeper, New England Revolution goalkeeper, and Jersey boy, Matt Turner. Matt, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Jersey boy, most importantly, first and foremost. Thanks for having me on. Oh no, definitely. Thanks. It's 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 been a long time coming. When you beat the Red Bulls back in the Open Cup, I want to say two years ago, we talked about doing this, and and thankfully we've been able to get it together. You're in U.S. That's camp. Right. That's right. You've been in U.S. camp. This is your second U.S. camp. Uh, how, how different does it feel? And do you feel like a veteran now as opposed to a year ago when you were kind of the new kid? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I just think I'm more comfortable in general. Uh, I don't even see myself as a veteran over in New England yet. <laughs> right. I still feel. I still feel like. Uh, the new kid on the block. And I think that that just has to do with a little bit about my story, you know, just always being eager to learn and understanding the fact that I don't know everything. And, and every day is a new opportunity to, to learn more and, and, and uh, grow as a player and as a person. So um, you never know what you're going to learn when you step on that field about yourself or about your ability. So uh, be open, be a sponge and, and uh, then eventually, maybe I'll consider myself a veteran. So you're in camp. You're you're preparing to uh, play uh, play the first match of 2021. Uh, how, how do you feel like you're kind of evolving in in Greg Berhalter's system and, and learning it and understanding it and putting yourself in position to try to compete for a you know higher place on that pecking order on that depth chart for the number one spot? Yeah, I think it's definitely been a learning curve for me because I. Uh, was late to the game uh, tactically, technically. Uh, I had a lot of catching up to do as a, as a soccer player, not just as a goalkeeper. And uh, I think that my biggest goal over the, the past few times that I've been in camps was to show improvement uh, from day one to however long I'm in camp till the end. And uh, for me, I think I've done that well this camp. And uh, yeah, just getting used to like the little tactical adjustments that he wants to see on the field what to look for in defenses, uh, what to look for in my defense when we're attacking or pressing and things like that. And, and just learning those cues and being consistent and, and being a, a leader on the field. I think if you look around, um, you know, the locker room right now, you've got a bunch of guys that are, are leaders and everybody's, you know, leading in, in a different way, but, um, there's also a huge respect and, uh, understanding of what we're trying to do here as uh as you know not just for the u.s men's national team but just for american soccer in general and, and we want to uh, there, there's things and goals that we have as a team um that far surpass just just one game but but it, it takes the fo- full focus one game at a time in order to achieve them right now, now you obviously had a great uh 2020 season and uh i, I don't know 
it sounds like you, you haven't had access to your Twitter account, so maybe you haven't been able to hear all the talk about how much you've improved. But I mean, did you feel that improvement? Did you could you sense things getting easier, or 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 is it or was the the improvement not as dramatic as maybe some people think? I just think that I show I've showed signs of of it since I began as a starter, but the biggest difference for me this year was my consistency. And I think that that's something that I've been searching for. Um, and I, I found it, you know, in my personal life, I found a consistency that I was happy with. Um, you know, like my, my personal relationships with my friends and my family and my girlfriend. And, um, I, I felt at peace in all those areas and, and to have no stresses outside the game allowed for me to, you know, just completely be present every time I stepped on the field and, and to, to be able to have that and be fully focused and fully just, just being so consistent all year was, was really nice for me. Cause if you listen to any of my interviews from 2018 or 2019, I, I talked about finding consistency and cause I knew that, there's things that I can do that are that are awesome on the field, but um, what was it going to take to be able to do those things every time? So yeah, I definitely felt like I was more consistent this year, but it also it, it, it felt it just made me feel uh, a great happiness to be able to uh, be a consistent player for this organization um, and to be able to put performances together that allowed us to you know make a deep run in playoffs and and I just want to win man, that's it. I just want to win games and, and make our fans happy, make my family proud every time I step on the field. And, and those are the small little things that I, I tell myself before every game. Now, you mentioned your your sister, and, and obviously uh, she's right on the front lines there. Now, I did read the article uh, that was written about, about her and you and, and your kind of backstory. Uh, it, it is interesting that you, you, were, you were kind of it, it sounded like you were a little late to the to, to being a goalkeeper. Like, how, how, old, how old were you when you kind of formally became a goalkeeper? So uh, that's an interesting question because I always used to go to her practices. Both of my older sisters played soccer, and I used to always go to their practices because my parents couldn't leave me home alone. And, uh, you know, what else can you do? if you Like, I was an antsy kid. I wanted to always be playing sports. So um, I used to just jump in the goal, you know, so I could be around the girls and, and, uh, so it was just something that I started doing messing around when I was, I don't know, probably like 10. Okay, uh, then good. I didn't join, join, but I didn't join, I didn't join a team, you know, playing goalkeeper until I was 16. That's when I really, um, jo- I joined a club team and, uh, it was 2010 right after the world cup. And, uh, yeah, I just, I finally got a goalkeeper trainer and, and uh, I started playing soccer year round. I started playing soccer and baseball year round simultaneously, and uh, just trying to find the balance of which game I was going to love and, and try to play collegiately. Like at that point, professional soccer or professional baseball was professional baseball was probably more on my mind than, than professional soccer. When you first came into the league, obviously the first two years you didn't get first team uh, matches, but I still remember having conversations with uh, with Remy Roy. And he would tell me, hey, we have this kid, Matt Turner. He's going to be the one. And he would, I'm like, really? And he, then he told me you're from Jersey. I was like, oh, okay, okay. And, but, I mean, he swore <laughs> by you from day one. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then you, you get your opportunity. Um, so, you know, 2018, you break through as a starter. How, how, how raw were you when you first got into the league? And how much did you need those years of kind of maybe learning uh, before you were thrown in there in 2018? So you you mentioned that Remy said that about me at day from day one, but I'll tell you what it certainly did not feel like it from from his perspective. Uh, that guy really put me through the ringer uh, physically, mentally. It was the hardest challenge that I've ever had to face at, at certain points because I wasn't reaping the rewards of anything. Right, right. Um, but the team would go start playing eleven v eleven or small sided games in training, and he wouldn't even let me play in those games he would pull me to the side and have me work on on little details small details 
being clean when I was tired, things like that, that I just never, I never had to do. And, and, uh, you know, I never had to focus on little technique things because I was so athletic that I could just get away with pretty much everything. Um, I didn't even know how to pass the ball. (laughs) I really didn't. I swear when I, when I got to, when I got to being a professional, all I ever knew was how to hit the ball 60 yards, 60, (laughs) 70 yards. That's all I did in college. I, I taught myself how to kick. I didn't even kick properly. Right. Remy would take me out on the field and we'd pa- be passing the ball back and forth. And if I hit a ball a yard to the right or a yard to the left of him, <laughs> he, he would make me go chase it down the field nice. and then bring it back. And, and it, this would be before a match and there would be fans starting to come into the stands <laughs> and he was making me chase balls all over the stadium. As someone who, who's trained my share of writers, sometimes you got to give them the tough love and work on the basics and, uh, and then eventually you reap, sure, you, reap, you reap the rewards for sure. Um, so, so I think that that made me appreciate obviously, you know, not take anything for granted. So, so nothing, nothing was handed to me when I became a professional. I, I felt like I've earned every single, uh, step of the way, which is, which is pretty, pretty rewarding, you know? And, uh, to look back and to think about those times and, and how they've shaped me today is, is pretty unique because, at, at that time, I, I was really challenged. I, I really thought about maybe maybe this isn't for me. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe soccer isn't for me. Uh, let me start looking into MBA programs where maybe I can get my master's in business and, and I can phase soccer out of my life and just live comfortably with you know with my friends in uh, in New York City and have have a great time, grand old time. Right. But I'm I'm really really glad that uh, you know I stuck it out and. And I didn't make those decisions, and I didn't run away from from this those challenges. Now you have a new coach in New England, and uh, Bruce Arena, obviously a legendary coach, uh, a highly successful coach. What, what's he been like to uh, to play for? He's obviously a character, but he's he's clearly a great coach. What, what, what's how, how has he helped you in kind of your this pro- progression that you've been on? I think for me, what's been great about Bruce is uh, his, his candidness and and his honesty and. Uh, I, I've personally, I've never been the type of person that uh, will, will try to hide the truth. And I think that because of that, uh, Bruce and I uh, get along really well because we're always honest with each other. And, and for me, he he simplified the game for me and he told me his expectations and what he wants from me. And, uh, and not for nothing, I have a pretty great goalkeeper coach there in New England too, and Kevin Hitchcock. So, right. um, but yeah, anyways, playing, playing for Bruce has been, has been awesome. And I've never seen somebody with the ability to get, you know, 25 guys on the same page like Bruce. Now, now we talked about this before we started recording, but about your Twitter account situation for me, for people who don't know, uh, Matt has been locked out of his Twitter account for, it sounds like at least six months. Uh, so we're hopefully that'll get sorted out. Um, so for anyone wondering why he doesn't follow anybody or why you haven't heard from him on there, uh, that's why, but, uh, it, it sounds like it's been a little refreshing to maybe be away from that part of the social media landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I encourage everybody once in a while. Yeah. I still, I'll delete some of my social media apps for a week or, or a couple of days and just step away from it uh, here or there because I think it's a healthy practice, you know. You need to be able to look around you and appreciate what what you're around uh, rather than just being so wrapped up in, in the what if and the everybody else's li- lives and their experiences rather than experiencing your own experience. De- definitely appreciate the time, Matt, and uh, good luck uh, in the upcoming match against Trinidad. Uh, hopefully we can uh, catch up again before the season starts. Like, it sounds like the MLS season is now set for April, so we actually do have a, a decent amount of time to, to hopefully catch up again. So uh, uh, thank you for the time, and uh, good luck this weekend. Definitely. That sounds great. Thanks again for having me, and I uh, look forward to, to chat again soon. And that's Matt Turner. Uh, definitely uh, glad to get him on. And, and as I said uh, it, during the interview, it, it, it is it was interesting that, to just see his his rise and his evolution. And and, and you know, former New England goalkeeper coach and front office exec uh, Remy Roy I used to always see him down at the MLS Combine. You know, every year and and you know we talk and and he he he's definitely the one. He told me early early. Listen, watch for this kid, Matt Turner. He's the real deal. He's got some serious talent, and uh, it is, it's always funny. It's always funny. It, it was funny to hear Matt Turner talk about how, you know, getting put through the ringer and how he didn't sense at the time 
that his coach had that belief in him. And that sometimes is how it goes. You know, when you're developing a young talent, you got to keep them hungry. You got to, you know, and sometimes you got to give them that tough love. You, you can't let them know where they are or how they're doing. You got to make them think, I got to keep working hard. I got to, you know, I'm not, you know, I can't get happy. I can't get lazy. You know, I, I got to stay hungry. And, and clearly uh, the effort and the work uh, put into Matt Turner in that early, in those early years has paid off. And, and now the New England Revolution have themselves an outstanding goalkeeper, uh, a goalkeeper who could definitely be an, an, another player who makes that jump from MLS to Europe. Again, it's still a little early there. He he still has developing to do. And I think it's great to hear Matt Turner himself say that he has a lot to learn still and a lot of growing to do still. And, and you know, the, that, that, that kind of humility is great uh, to see just because, you know, he's not, he, as he said, he's not going to take anything for granted because he, he, with what he had to do to get to this point, how hard he had to work, the dues he had to pay and understanding that he's still relatively young in the process of, of, of learning the position, right? Because as a goalkeeper, you, you, you know, generally speaking, you need, you need years and years and years to really hone and understand all the ins and outs and the intricacies of playing the goalkeeper position. And in, in terms of just total years, learning that position and playing that position, you know, Matt, Matt Turner is still relatively young as far as that goes. With that being said, it's, it's, it's exciting to think how much better he can get considering how much he still has to learn and how good he already is. So so we'll see if he can make that uh you know make a, a really good first impression with the US men's national team on Sunday uh with the US taking on Trinidad and, and Tobago and and uh, we talked about it we've talked about it recently about you know the the still the traumatic uh feelings some US fans will, will will get when they hear Trinidad and Tobago but look that's that's in the past now this is a new era new team new players I don't think many players care about that anymore and look the US beat 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 Trinidad pretty handily at the, at the 2019 Gold Cup and hopefully that exercised some demons there but just talking about that that US team uh who is going to start uh, in that first match of 2021, and you know, just going going through it uh, really quickly. Obviously, I, I put my projected lineup on SBI on Tuesday, and it's going to be a veteran. I think it's going to be a veteran lineup, as much as you know. Obviously, more than uh, half the squad is players from the U23 setup. Although that's a little misleading because some of those players were already part of the senior setup, like a Jackson Mule. So for me, uh, just to quickly, if you, if you go through the lineup, Matt Turner should start in goal. Uh, the back line, obviously, you have Aaron Long. Walker Zimmerman, your veteran center backs in the mix, but you also have Miles Robinson, who you know he he's coming off a bit of a disappointing season for Atlanta, but the talent there's no denying the talent that he had, and if not for an injury in 2019, he he could have broken through with the with the national team sooner, and he, he could have had a part to play much sooner. He had a bit of a setback in 2020 in 2020 with Atlanta having such a terrible year, and him kind of taking a bit of a step back. But there's no doubting the talent, and there's no doubting that he's going to play a huge part. In Olympic qualifying, knock on wood, they're still in the Olympics. And knock on wood, there's still hopefully Olympic qualifying, and that all still happens. He will have a big part to play in Jason Kreiss's U23 setup. But for me, I think Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman should be your starters in in the setup. And and how about this, right? At the start of camp, Mark McKenzie was in camp, and uh, you blink, and he is already off in uh, in Belgium, and and. I, I forgot to to touch on this in the in the rec- in the previous segment, the Americans Abroad said segment. Mark McKenzie uh, made his debut for Genk, the the Belgian team. Not only does he make his debut, he starts in his debut in his second match, and it's against the first place team, Club Bruges. Uh, Ethan Horvath's Club Bruges, a battle of first place versus second place. He starts, and now look, they lost. They lost three two, but he he did he did okay. He did well for himself as his first taste of of uh, of the action over in Europe, and it's great to see. It's great to see he's he's got uh, you know so much talent, such a bright future, and hopefully we can get Mark McKenzie on the show. Actually, I'm gonna. I'm going to try to hit him up uh, pretty soon here. So once he gets settled, obviously, you want to let him get settled. And I know he did about 15 different podcasts, I want to say, in the last month before he headed over there. And uh, I'm going to have to listen to some of those and, and see what he wasn't asked. And then, and then hopefully we can try to get him on here. But that was great to see, obviously, him take that step. And then also Brendan Aronson, another player who uh, made the move to Europe. He made his debut for, for Red Bull Salzburg coming off the bench uh, in a win for them. And it's going to be a real 
test to see how how quickly he can force himself into the starting lineup for Jesse Marsh and uh, Red Bull Salzburg. It's not going to be easy. That's a very talented team, even though they just they obviously sent their star player uh, Sobosha, the the Hungarian star, to uh, Red Bull to RB Leipzig. So there is that. There should be some minutes there, and hopefully, hopefully, Aronson can can earn those minutes. But back to the men's national team. Uh, we've gotten away from the projected starting lineup. Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, your center backs at fullback. Uh, Julian Arahu was not part of the early camp. He sh- he came in later. He obviously uh, he he had to leave initially because of illness. Uh, then he came back. Uh, make of that what you will. He's obviously healthy now. He's recovered from whatever illness he had, and and now he's back. But I think because he he wasn't a part of that uh, the whole time. I think more than likely Berhalter goes with either Kyle Duncan. Or Aaron Herrera. And obviously these two are both U23 eligible. They're both coming off really good seasons in MLS, 2020 seasons. And for me, Kyle Duncan is a very, very, very good right back prospect, right? And he obviously was able to stay healthy and put together a great year for the Red Bulls. He was definitely one of the bright spots for the Red Bulls in 2020. And uh, I'm projecting him to start, although Aaron Herrera also uh, had a very good season for Real Salt Lake. Um, settling in at, at, at right back for them. And it's going to be, I think it'll be one of those two. Um, but I'd probably go with Duncan to start. And at left back, I think it's safe bet that Sam Vines gets to start. He obviously uh, played uh, last year in the January uh, end of end of January camp friendly against Costa Rica. Did well in in that one, and I think he gets the nod. Even though I'm sure some people want to see George Bello, the Atlanta United teenager, who's the other left back on this roster. I think he'll get on the field. I think he'll get a chance to to get a cap. But I think it's a it's 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 telling that that he was one of the players chosen to 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 make the move from that U twenty three group to the senior team for this friendly because as young as he is, a, a t, you know he's still a teenager. Um, you want to see who are the left backs that are emerging, uh, and he you know again he's a name that's been around uh, ever since he got a chance to get you know get playing time. As a as a even younger under Tata Martino in uh, 2019, I want to say it's all a blur. Everything's blurred together. But he, you know, he he's someone who people have been waiting to see breakthrough, waiting to see kind of be that next, uh, you know, potentially be that that challenger to get playing time for the men's national team at left back. So we'll see. We'll see if he gets a chance to play. But I think Sam Vines will get the nod in the midfield. No surprises there for me. I think you're going to go with the veterans, Sebastian Legette, Christian Roldan, and then Jackson Ewell as your midfield triangle. I don't I, I don't really see any any variations there. Although Andres Perea, Perea, Perea uh, the Colombian-born Orlando City midfielder who recently filed his one-time switch, I think we're going to see him. Obviously, he plays for Orlando City. The friendly is in Orlando at Exploria Stadium. So, you know, I know Greg Berhalter is not a sentimental type, but I think I think we will see Perea uh, play in the game. I don't know if he's going to start, but I think I think it's a safe bet that we see him in this game. And then in the attack, you, I think you got to go Josie Altidore as your starting striker. I know there's going to be a lot of hand wringing among some U.S. fans who are over the Josie Altero era and are ready for it to end and ready to see new blood and new faces at striker. And obviously with Josh Sargent and Matthew uh, Hopi breaking through or doing their thing in the Bundesliga, you, you, you know, you, there's more competition in the pipeline to take away the job from Altero. But when he's healthy, for me, he's still the guy. He's still your lead striker. And I know some people will say, wait a minute, you know, how old will he be by the World Cup? Like, do you really need him? Isn't it time to start looking at some younger players? I get that. I get that. But you know what? These other younger players have to, you know, they have to take it. They have to take the job from him. And as I've said in the past, Josh Sargent has had opportunities with the national team to really assert himself and to really kind of make it his position and really, you know, just take it, take hold of it. And he hasn't quite done that he hasn't quite done that with the opportunities that he's had with the national team and for that reason now that Altador is back I think Altador is going to just retake that position but we'll see of course you know he's always had he's re, you know he has his issues staying healthy so that's always a question um so you always still need to have these other strikers and Daryl DK is in this group it's again another Orlando City player the game's in Orlando could he start absolutely I think you know Berhalter absolutely could choose to start Daryl DK but I feel like more than likely you see Altador start and you see DJ come in at halftime. You know, you split the game 45-45 and you give out, you know, Altador the veteran, you give him the start. So I think that's what you'll see at striker. And then on the wings, Chris Mueller, Paul Ariola, safe bet to be your wingers there. 
Mueller obviously showed really well uh, in his in his first opportunity with the national team um, in in December. And Paul Ariola is just great to have him back from his torn ACL uh, as he continues to, to 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 state his case. And the interesting thing with Ariola is now. Jordan Morris, again, and another player that I forgot to talk about in the Americans Abroad Making Moves to Europe section segment. Jordan Morris has completed his loan move to Swansea City. Ariola might join him, according to reports, and apparently Ariola himself saying that he has spoken to Swansea City's manager. Uh, we know that DC United's owner is a part owner of Swansea City, so there is that uh, connection, right? So we'll see. Paul Ariola, obviously, in terms of work permit, it's not an issue. He's played the, the requisite national team games to qualify for a work permit. You have that. You have the ownership connection. So it's it, there's really kind of a clear path for Ariola to go to Swansea City. It's just a case of, you know... All the other kind of, you know, things you have to tie, uh, the loose strings you have to tie just to complete that. So we'll see if it gets done. Uh, I hope so. I hope I hope it gets done. I really, you know, as much as he, you know, came off the ACL, I think he's someone who has has an has ability and he could uh, make a difference over there and give Swansea City yet another weapon to go with Jordan Morris, who's joining them and who I think is going to crush it at Swansea City personally. Put me on record. I'm saying it. Jordan Morris is going to light it up a la Landon Donovan at Everton. When, if For those who remember when Landon Donovan went to Everton and really was really a, a big bright spot over at Everton, I think, I think you're going to see Morris have that kind of impact. And maybe we'll see Ariola join him and all of a sudden Swansea City will be the new uh, – it'll be kind of funny how, you know, there's there there was that time when it was kind of Swansea City was a little bit of a dirty word because of what happened with Bob Bradley and and the ugly uh, stretch that he had there you know the short period Bob Bradley had as manager and, and he was fired from there but now if you had, if you add a couple of Americans all of a sudden uh, you know some American fans will will, will start to kind of re readopt Swansea City as a team that they want to keep an eye on. And we will see what the we will see what the men's national team can do against Trinidad. Uh, I know some people will kind of initially on the surface look at it and say oh why couldn't it be serbia at the end of the day it was not going to be serbia's a team so uh if you're asking me is it a huge drop off between a serbian b or c team and a trinidad and and tobago team that's probably going to be pretty close to their full you know missing uh you know maybe their top top players but they should still have a i think field a pretty competitive team and a that one thing is clear. I think they'll have a better team than the El Salvador team that the U.S. beat in December. For that, I have absolutely no doubt. So uh, as we wrap up the show, I did want to touch on the U.S. women's national team. Obviously, they started their 2021 with a pair of, of, of blowout wins against Colombia. Uh, obviously, this is not – it wasn't a fair fight. The, the Colombia just did not – they just don't have the – the firepower. Not many teams do. I don't know if any team, any women's team in the world has has the firepower to really stand toe to toe with the with the U.S. And the one thing I definitely wanted to talk about was uh, Katerina Macario, who is a star in the making. She started her her national team career. She followed her one time switch. Uh, born in Brazil, obviously she starred at Stanford, and now she's about she's starting her pro career now. She signed with Olympic Lyon, multiple times reigning European champions. You know the consensus best team in the world in women's soccer. Uh, she signs with them. She passes on NWSL and now she makes her debut for the U S women. And even though like she missed some chances, like you see it, you see the star power. If you, uh, if you watch, uh, you watch her play and she's playing with the best team in the world. She play- the U S women are the best team in the world. And not just because they win the world cup. They are like, they, they, if you split the team in half, they could have the best team and the second best team in the world. That's how, how dominant and deep and strong and unbelievable this U S women's team is. But even with all that, Macario gets on the field and she catches your eye. You see how she moves. You see her the 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 her speed and her and her her the quickness of thought and her her physical quickness. She has it all. And and what's great to see is you can kind of tell she's still learning. She's still um, she's still kind of ad- adapting to the new environment of playing with the U.S. women. And once she learns and once she develops that connection with with that team and those players, it is going to be scary how good she's going to be. So I'm looking forward to it, uh, to seeing that development. And again, knock on wood, let's hope the Olympics happen because as much as the U S women should have an absolute stroll to a gold medal. And I know that's a bit of a jinx attempt, but I'm sorry, I just don't see it. And I've spent, I spent a big part of 2020, uh, spending a lot more time 
on the women's game, uh, working with the International Champions Cup and and, and uh, working on the featured content with them. Uh, you know, obviously, women's the, the women's game is a big part of of the the ICC, and just you know, when you really kind of spend time on on the women's game and and who the top players are, the top teams are, top national teams are. There are obviously some good national teams, but the U.S. women are just so so deep and so so powerful as a squad. So. Even with all that, Macario is a generational player, and it's going to be great. To, it's going to be fun to watch her kind of uh, emerge and evolve uh, as the next big star in the women's game. And I think that's wrap. I think that wraps it up. I think that's it for this episode of the SBI Show. I think last but not least, certainly not least, MLS starting in April, and uh, we don't need to get too much into that. This episode, next episode, we can talk a little bit about the timetable and. Uh, what that means and, and how now we have we have to wait a couple more months now, uh, uh, a little more than two months between now and the start of the season. Knock on wood, if there's no labor issues, if the, the league and the players union can sort out the CBA arrangement, hopefully uh, there is a season on time in April. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And obviously, we're still kind of as a country working our way through the pandemic and, and now with the vaccines coming on board. Uh, getting the population vaccinated and, you know, hopefully enough people understand and appreciate the importance of being vaccinated and that we get enough people vaccinated so that we can really slow down this whole pandemic to get back to to get our lives back to normal. Because, I mean, I, it's crazy to think that it's coming up on a year of, since this all began. And, you know, obviously the SBI show went on hiatus when the pandemic started and now I'm finally back and. Um, this is our third episode back post pandemic, and it's just crazy to think that we're coming up on a year. Uh, so I'm sure I'm not alone in hoping we can get that sorted out so we can get back to norm life, uh, somewhat close to normal. Will it ever be what it as no, will normal ever exist again? You, that's a big question. That's a big question, but hopefully we at least get back to, to some sense of normalcy. Uh, and hopefully MLS will, you know, get get its issues sorted and we can have a season. So uh, I think that's it for, for now. Uh, I definitely want to thank Matt Turner for joining us and taking the time. Hopefully we get it, we can get him on again a few, you know, a few weeks, a few months from now uh, just to just talk his continued progress and also talk about his baseball career. Cause I, I didn't touch on that. I didn't follow up on that. Uh, say I had to save something for the next interview whenever we get him on again. So we'll talk baseball then, but for now it was great to have him on and get that insight into, you know, where he came from, how far he's come, and 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 the fact that he actually almost thought about hanging it up before he broke through, before he has now hit the success, he actually contemplated uh, hanging up the gloves and and just going and finding and you know finding a new career and crazy, right? Think about that. He had he goes from thinking about hanging it up, and now here he is, ready to make his debut with the U.S. Men's National Team, starting for the U.S. men's national team. That, for me, that's an that's amazing. And that, that's something that, that everyone should look at uh, and think and, and take that as a reminder that sometimes, you know, you, you might feel like you, you shouldn't stick through it or you might feel like giving up and you might feel like looking at some other alternative. But you know what? Sometimes you stick through it and then you can realize all the dreams that, that you have. So we'll see and definitely. So again, thank you, Matt Turner, for joining us. And thank you all for listening to this latest episode. We will be back on Friday, uh, Friday with a new episode. And we will have at least one, hopefully a couple of guests for that next episode. I won't say who yet. Uh, we're still working it out, but we, you know, the plan, there's a few irons in the fire when it comes to guests. So we will have a guest or two for the next episode. So definitely stay tuned to that and make sure you subscribe, uh, whether it's on iTunes, we're obviously on SoundCloud, but, uh, the, the SBI show is back. Uh, so if you hadn't subscribed before, make sure you subscribe so you can get the latest episodes. We are shooting for two a week. That's the, that's going to be the goal for now. Uh, I might extend it out to three a week and have them be a bit shorter, but you know, step by step for now, we're going to do, do two episodes a week. So that's all for now. Thank you for joining me and, and, uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see what, uh, you know, we'll see what we can do, uh, with this show. Uh, and I got to say lastly, uh, you know, going through the archives, of uh, of the SBI show and looking at some of the guests we've had through the years, Tim Howard, Michael Bradley, uh, Josie Altador, uh, Terrence Boyd, uh, 
and a, a, a pretty good uh, a pretty good collection of, of characters through the Jesse Marsh, uh, you know, good collection of, of characters through the years, uh, key figures in the game. Landon Donvin, I'm pretty sure we've had on Alexi Lalas. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll start to get some more of those back on uh, in the coming weeks. I, I've got a few that have, a few people that that I've already targeted. Um, that you know, I hope I can get on in the next uh, in the next uh, few a few weeks and and from here on out because the show is going to stick around. Knock on wood that this is the plan. I, I'm definitely uh, and if anything, I'm probably I, I'm probably going to try to maybe focus more on on the this show and maybe take some time away from writing. Not not that I'll stop writing, but maybe. You know, there's only so many hours in a day, so if it means maybe writing fewer stories and, and taking more time to, to start making the show more of a consistent thing. Because let's face it, nowadays it feels like people want to either hear podcasts or watch video more so than read, right? Unfortunately, people feel less and less uh, – reading is less and less of a priority for people. I'm a realist. I understand. And, and look, I like doing the show, right? So the show, is, it's not a you know a thing where I don't like to do it. Producing it, that's another question. But um, it's been fun, and, and it's great to have it back. And, and, you know, let me know any any suggestions that you have or any guests that you'd like to, to see on uh, that you'd like me to chase down. By all means, let me know, uh, and I'll see who I can get on, and uh, we'll get things rolling. But for now, that's all for, for me and for Matt Turner. Good luck on his debut with the national team. Uh, but that's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalarset. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>